They say when a baby is born, so is a mother. But while you are there to help your baby grow into the person he or she is meant to be, who is there to help you? Many women feel lost and alone when they become mothers, wondering, who am I now? Sometimes it feels like the transformation from woman to mother is as radical as a caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly. Did you know that inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar literally turns into goop before it rearranges itself into a butterfly? This podcast is about the goop, what soul transformation looks like as you transition from being a woman to a mom. Your baby's growth matters, but yours does too. You're not alone. I'm your host, Brittany Ming. Welcome to the Motherhood Metamorphosis. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Motherhood Metamorphosis. I am Brittany Ming, your host, and today we are talking to Teresa Bodecker. Teresa is a mom of two kids, 15 years apart. When her second was born, she had one learning to talk and one talking back, one learning to drive and one driving her crazy. These days, her daughter is the mama of two cuties and her son is starting college. Teresa and her husband live in Missouri and enjoy walking, gardening, and laughing at their complete oppositeness. She is a former English teacher, now a writer, speaker, and humor hunter who enjoys telling a funny story. She writes about life lessons, parenting, self-help, and Christian topics with both a serious and funny viewpoint. Well, welcome, Teresa. I'm so happy to talk to you today. Thank you, Brittany. I'm happy to be here. So when you had emailed me about being on the podcast, you wrote something that I wanted to jump on um, for a topic for today. And she said, or you said, I had to figure out how to be an older mom where the rules had changed in motherhood, where I was expected to follow all the new parenting advice and the pressures as a mom had intensified beyond anything I had experienced with my first child. And I thought, wow, this is such an interesting topic because sometimes we think, as younger moms that nobody in a previous generation understands us or people in the past either had it easier or they had it harder. So I'm really interested in hearing your perspective about how you kind of experienced two different generations of parenting and what that was like for you. Yeah, it was interesting. I will have to say though, I will have to preface this. So I'm a, I'm a I come from a family of six kids and I'm the second oldest and I my two younger siblings, I had a brother and a sister, and they were both born when I was 16 and 13. And so I had seen my mom raise several kids, a number of kids, um, helped raise my younger brother and sister, babysat. Let's just say when I went into parenting the first time with Ashley, so the first one was a girl, I mean, I was overly confident. I knew that this would be easy. I had all the answers. I didn't even think it didn't even occur to me that it would be hard. I was so confident. Now, I was not confident in all areas of my life, but in mothering, I was definitely confident. <laughs> I thought, this is a piece of cake. I mean, how hard can this be? I mean, <laughs> I my mom do it. I babysat, you know, raised my younger siblings. And so I went in extremely confident, just sure I knew a lot of what to do and how to do it. How did that work out for you? <laughs> Actually, I mean, Ashley was a very pretty easy child and it worked out pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I mean, of course there were bumps in the road, like she was born three weeks early and had colic and stuff, but there wasn't anything that 
I didn't feel like that I couldn't really handle it, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. She, it, it just, everything kind of fell together. So, but then you had your son when quite a few years later. So then 15 years later, I had my son. And by that time, I mean, so many things had changed. And I'll just give you a couple examples. Like with my daughter, you just wore a tent. That's all you wore. You know what I mean? Huge flowing clothes. I got pregnant with Christians and my son. And I mean, everything was skin tight. I outgrew every single pregnancy thing I bought before I even got to eight months of pregnant. I Because everything was starting out extremely fitted. Now, Ashley, I only, she was a little under six pounds when she was born. So she was three weeks early. Christian was a couple days late. He was just under nine pounds. So I will say that I was quite a bit bigger with him. But by the time I got, went into labor with Christian, there was one outfit I could wear. Only one outfit. So like clothes had changed. Um, Baby gear had changed. Like with Ashley, you know, they were forward facing. With Christian, it was rear facing and you couldn't have, you had to have a new car seat. You had to have this. And I remember going to the store and like just looking at all the baby gear and being overwhelmed so much baby gear and it was like did all these fancy things and stuff and I was like huh with Ashley I mean we had like a car seat and uh, a walker we lived in a little one room one bedroom apartment I mean we didn't have much and with Christian we had a lot more money and we could get more but like just even trying to figure out what to get was hard um Pregnancy was also a lot harder for me. While while with Ashley, I had morning sickness. With Christian, I had oh, so much morning sickness. I would drive Ashley to school, come home, and if I didn't lay down in bed and not move until 12 o'clock, everything I ate would come up. Then I'd get up and I'd eat lunch, and then I'd have to lay in bed and not move till it was time to pick her up, and then I'd I hadn't had a shower or anything, so I put my bathrobe on, you know, and <laughs> pray no one saw me. And once in a while, there was a teacher or somebody, Miss Nelson. I'm like, oh, no, and go, go pick her up, you know. So that had changed too, but the baby rules had changed too. Like with Ashley, I could put her on her stomach, I could put her on her side, you know, and suddenly. With Christian, like, do not ever put him on, let him sleep on his stomach. If he rolls to his stomach, roll him back. And then put him on, you know, stomach time. That was play time. I, I guess they called that tummy time. Tummy time, yeah. Yeah. I was like, tummy time, what's that? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so all these things were changing. So with Christian, so many people were coming up to me and saying things like, well, what parenting style, like sleep style are you using to put Christian to sleep? And I was like, I, I don't know. Well, is it the Wilson, the fuss budget or the Smith method? And I'm like, I don't know. And I think, I think I'm just using common sense. <laughs> but that really made me doubt. That really made me doubt. Because there was like, you know, ways to put a baby to sleep. Ways to feed a baby. Are you nursing them on demand? Are you nursing them every two hours? There's methods for that. All these methods. That with Ashley, I'd just been so confident and just done what worked. And with Christian, that really, really made me question, okay, am I doing it the wrong way? Is there a better, I mean, is there one way to 
put your baby to sleep. And also I will have to say, I was old enough that I knew you could kind of screw a child up at that point. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I was young, <laughs> I, I never screwed my kid up. But I was older and I realized, oh yeah, maybe how I keep put him to sleep could cause him therapy later on or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that was that the case? Like after he, after he's grown up, did you did you have a better insight about ways you can you're gonna screw your kid up when they're a baby? <laughs> yeah, probably not so much by sleeping, but yes. Yeah. And so working through that fear. Like I said, with Ashley, I was so confident going into parenting, but not confident in other areas in my life. When Christian came along, I was confident in a lot more areas in my life, but I got very fearful with parenting. That's so interesting to hear because sometimes you think like, oh, the more experienced mom is going to feel more confident. But when you have all these voices speaking at you, it can make you doubt your own intuition, even when you have experience as a mom. So I think that that's really insightful for you to say because it speaks to women in general and especially new moms or maybe new again moms after you've had a long um, period where you haven't had a child where you think I don't know what I'm doing anymore or even when I had my daughter she's my youngest but it's been four years since I had a baby and I'm like we had sold everything every last blessed thing I had gotten rid of, and then the next month I got pregnant. That's how it gets you. Yeah, that's how it gets you. <laughs> but even after four years, I thought, how did this go again? What do I need? And I did have a, I did have a lot of experience and I did feel more confident, but I think that it is easy to think all these voices are speaking at me. Am I doing it right? And how do I filter through all this advice and all these ways Mm-hmm. And, and sort through my own fears in order to parent my child with confidence. So what is it you think about our culture that can almost paralyze women into not trusting their own intuition? Well, I think, because I did notice this, like there was a huge change. When, when I was praying with Ashley and raising her, she was little, very few people actually came up and gave me advice unsolicited you know what I mean and if they did and you decided not to use it they weren't personally offended with Christian a lot of people like would just start the conversation I wasn't even looking for it and then I'd be thinking am I doing it wrong um and I just feel like we're very sorry for women these days because now we have the internet that's not it's not just women's voices, but the internet's telling me you're doing it wrong, or there's one way to do this and that. And what works for your child is not going to work for everyone else's child. I mean, I learned that very early on. And, and people are quite, quite insistent that their way is the right way. Mm-hmm. And that can only make you doubt. Yeah. If you're doubtful. And if you Google, because my daughter did. When she had her first child, she Googled like how to put a child to sleep. I mean, there are so many ways and so many pages that how do you even sift through? Like, well, how do <laughs> I know? What do you even try? <laughs> I know. It's like never co-sleep, always co-sleep, never nurse your baby to sleep. It's okay if you nurse your baby to sleep, never give a pacifier. It's okay to give yeah. a pacifier. 
Yeah. Yes. It's, and it's conflicting. My, I was talking to my daughter yesterday and she's pregnant right now, but she was saying she was looking for a pediatrician and the pediatrician she was interested in, you had to co-sleep, you had to nurse, and there were a couple more rules or they would not take you as a wow. patient. I said, what? What, what, what if, I mean, that, I just blew my mind. I'm like, now if that doesn't create some doubt in the mother's mind or a patient's mind, that there's only one right way when it's the doctor won't even take you as a patient. That's a lot of pressure. I think that pressure can really paralyze people. And mm-hmm. I keep using that word, but you feel like you're stuck and you don't know which way to go. And you try things and you think, okay, if I follow this method, I'm going to be, I'm going to do things right. And things are going to work out for me. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And then you feel like you're a failure. Yeah. But like you said, there's so many different ways to put a child to sleep and what works for you is what's going to work for you. And so just, I don't know, I think if I was going to tell any mom, I'm like, trust your intuition, trust what you are feeling about your baby, but that can be hard when your baby's screaming, like, and you haven't slept for like six days in a row. And that's hard when you need advice and you feel really alone. That's hard. So yeah, I think that what the danger can be is when we take these pieces of advice and we make that our identity. I think that's where Mm -hmm. people get really hung up on, well, you have to follow this advice because it's the right way because they have absorbed that concept so much that it's become their parenting identity and something that they say, this is who I am. And if you doubt me, if you doubt this advice, you're doubting me. And if you doubt me, then I might not be a good parent. And so that like just undermines, undermines, undermines everything you think you're doing about parenting. Whereas I think if you strip that away and you say, I'm going to parent the way that brings me peace and brings my child peace. And we figure this out together. And I'm looking for cues in my child that we're connected and that this child is happy and nourished and I'm happy and nourished in my soul and in my body. That's, I think, what grows confidence as a parent, at least in my life, that's how it's been. No, I agree with you, Brittany. If I could tell women, it's like, you know, very much following your own intuition, common sense. And I don't know, like some of these parenting styles will work perfectly for your kid. Some won't. And maybe step one and two work but step three doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so you change step three, but sometimes it's like, no, you have to do all steps or you're not doing it faithfully. Um, okay. But that take doesn't take into consideration that we're individuals as mothers and we're all different. And then we have a child and they're different from us too. And they're their own personality and different likes, dislikes, interests than us too. So what works, we have, like you said, we have to find something that works for us as moms and works for them. Mm -hmm. I'll give you like a, this is kind of a funny story or just something that happened. So with Ashley, I mean, I was, I was going to be the good mom and I mashed when it came time to eat, I was mashing up potato, you know, bananas, you know, sweet potatoes, things and feeding her worked perfectly. Christian was eight months old and he still had had showed no interest in eating food. 
none. And everybody's like, you know, you may not feed him. And I'm like, everything I gave him, he would spit out instantly. And I was mashing things up left and right and freeing things, you know, and like he had no interest. And I remember going to the doctor and for one of his well, well child things. And she said, oh, a baby can easily survive for one year just on mother's milk. So I wouldn't even be worried about it. But then she said, she goes, have you tried feeding him chunks of anything? And I said, well, of course not. Every book I've ever read says you free you mash. She's like, some kids skip that step. And I was like, what? She goes, I want you to go home and I want you to cut up, you know, soft chunks of something. Like, you know, defrost some frozen peas or, you know, cook some carrots and put them. My word, he was run- he was eating everything in sight. He wanted something to chew on. Mm-hmm. But you see, something so simple, I had to figure out what was keeping him from eating. But something so simple, he did not want anything mashed, anything pareed, anything, no applesauce, nothing for him. He wanted to use his four teeth to chomp and chomp and chomp whatever he put in his mouth. You know what I mean? Like, well, he could have starved if I would have just kept going, you know, with pareed stuff. So at common sense, figure out what, what works with my child. And I might skip a few things or I might change or, but he was happy as a clam. Yeah. You know? And so that doctor like affirming and giving you creative advice spoke into a better solution than you thinking my child's never going to eat or why is this not working for me? I think like leaning into creativity when sometimes we lean into like this failure, this sense that we're a failure or this sense that they're not following the prescribed timeline and therefore <laughs> something is terribly wrong, I think can really hinder our journey. Cause I have felt that way so often, like, oh no, they're not doing this. I'm a failure. I, felt, I spent so much emotional energy feeling like I'm a failure because I didn't do do things on a timeline or my kid was just different from a timeline kid. They can still be happy and healthy and not hit everything at the right time. But so often we do ask each other, are they sitting up yet? Mm-hmm. Are they are they walking? What? They're 18 months and they're not walking, you know? Yeah. I think comparing experiences is so normal. And I don't think people should stop doing that because I think that gives us a sense of community. But Mm -hmm. I think if we take that comparison of another child's journey or another mother's journey and absorb that into ourselves and make it a litmus test for our own happiness as a mother or our own child's success, that's where we really do ourselves a misservice. Because we can't take our friend's experience or our mom's experience or our sister's experience and say like, that's going to be exactly my experience or even Ashley's experience compared with Christian's experience because she liked the purees and he was like having none of it. (laughs) Yes. And I think that's where, I think I find, I finally came to the idea that there is no perfect one way. You know what I mean? We're all individuals. Our children are individuals. And I mean, we as we as humans would love there to be if you do A, B, and C, your child will come out perfectly, you know, sleep through the night, you know, 
potty train, all these wonderful things. And there is no formula. There just mm -hmm. is not any one formula that will guarantee that. Yeah, for sure. So the tagline of this podcast, well, the, the image is of being in this chrysalis and becoming maybe a new person as you are transformed like from a woman to being a mother and becoming yourself. So did you feel like when you had your second child that you went through a, like a second chrysalis experience where you were in the goop and you were dissolving and becoming somebody new? Can you speak to that maybe a transformation process you went through even the second time around? Yeah, I think I would have to say that I had to learn to regain my confidence. Mm and really listen to myself and not what everybody was saying, like my own common sense, intuition, what, and then also really, really listen to my baby mm -hmm. and say, okay, what works with him? What doesn't? What is he like? I mean, like just, just something so simple as Ashley, when she was little, she wants to wake up so slowly, you know, Christian, jump out of bed, run, run and jump on my bed. Like, good morning, mom. What's for dinner? Like, what? <laughs> I haven't even figured out breakfast. Neither one's right or wrong. And I need to celebrate and embrace both. Mm. Both are good. And both are, both show their personalities in many ways. Yeah. Learning to um, have confidence in myself and then also them and helping them see their differences and their strengths. So it's like being students of our children almost and trying to figure out how can we best love them, serve them, be parent them for their, their personality, their traits, their abilities, um, so that they can grow into the people they really want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I think that that emphasis on trusting yourself and getting to know your child. I just remember thinking, who are you, little one? Like, <laughs> and sometimes I think that we try to discover who our kids are by reading a lot of articles online. Yes. Or by asking our friends or in the mom's group on Facebook, can you give me advice about this and this and this? And I think just trying different things. And then if something works, like go with it. Even if it's, you think, oh my gosh, I can't give her this pacifier because then someday I'm going to have to break the pacifier habit. Don't worry about breaking yeah. the pacifier habit in a year and a half. Like if the pacifier works for now, like use the pacifier, like that works. And that's awesome. Uh, one lady once gave me this perfect advice. She said, Teresa, do you see any college students walking around with a pacifier in their mouth? No. <laughs> Kindergarten will cure them. You know, peer pressure cures children of so many things. Yes. Yeah, you know, it'll potty train them, take away their pacifier. All these things we worry so yeah. much about that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And sometimes our worries or our, like, like the thing, like the pacifier. We don't want our kid growing up, you know, going to work with a pacifier. So we think, well, let's cure them at one and a half. And maybe it's too early. Maybe two and a half is too early. But um we worry about these silly things. And then um, sometimes those worries turn into problems for our children because mm -hmm. we start talking about them. You know, you're going to look silly at 16 with a pacifier or say things that 
you keep mentioning this to your child, it's going to cause problems. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So just pretend it's normal because it is at this age. And don't, the more you focus on it, the more you will get concerned and then you will cause them to think something's wrong with them. So treat it as normal. And you know what? It went away really quick. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There's, there's like this wisdom you have to kind of weigh and I think that comes with time because I think that our fears are often very present at the beginning, whether we're at the beginning of their first child, or maybe even like with me, with my fifth child, like trying to figure out how did this go again? Or Mm -hmm. you, your second child, after this long gap of not having a little one in the house, I think our fears are often very present. And I think that we have to say, my fear can be a companion with me, but it doesn't have to be my master. Because we can say, I shouldn't be scared. I shouldn't be scared. But realizing that, yes, I do feel anxious about X, Y, and Z. So what am I going to do about that? I need to listen to myself, listen to my baby, but realize that my fear as I go along this journey is going to dissipate. It is going to dissolve if I trust myself because that wisdom is going to come fill in that, that gap because you have experience. And you are listening to yourself and your intuition and you are listening to your child and understanding who this child is. And so I think that realizing that as you do those things, that wisdom is going to fill that space, that fear was blowing up inside of you. And then your fears are going to go away. Right. Or, you know, new fears come in, but like as you go along, I think that realizing fear doesn't have to be our master in this parenting journey but that doesn't mean that we can just banish them altogether, I think is a way of dealing with some of those challenges. Oh yeah. Cause we're always going to have fears. It's putting mm-hmm. them in perspective, right? So some of these little things like, okay, I can let this go. This isn't something I want to really fight about. Like, you know, if they have to sit in the chair the whole time they're eating or they have to, you know, not use a pacifier. Sometimes you just think, okay, I'm going to let this go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll, we'll work and, or we'll compromise. I realized I've let a lot more things go with my youngest than I did with my oldest. Cause I thought if I don't nip this in the bud, it's going to be yes. an obedience issue forever. And now I'm like, you know what? Obedience is like a really long game. And yes. even now when they're 14, they don't obey me all the time. So I don't have to be like such like a hard ass on my two-year-old because mm-hmm. she listen one time doing this right get all mad about it so yeah I've I've learned to let up a lot about that those kind of things yeah and I think how my dad used to say I don't remember him saying this with my with my first one maybe he came up with this later but he would say are you having fun with your children because hmm. sometimes we're focusing so much on okay how do we feed them how do we you know potty train them how do we get them to sleep through the night and not run into our bedroom whatever and we forget to have fun with them Mm. and that's a that's a large part and so the more we can have fun with them that builds our relationship with them but it also makes us more comfortable and like loving to them and like see them more as a person too you Mm -hmm. know I really like that I like that advice of are you having fun with them I think that can put a lot of things into perspective and that's really good advice for our last question was, what would you tell another woman who's walking the same path? And I think that, are you having fun with your kids? I think. Yes. And just leaning into that joy 
and letting that take precedence in your heart as opposed to fears about whether you're doing it right. Yes, I think so too. Well, this was such a good conversation, Teresa. I'm so glad we got to talk. I like to end our time with these fun rapid fire questions and <laughs> they're all just for fun. So don't worry about them. So are you ready? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sweat, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, number one, which Disney princess would you like to take out for coffee? The one with the really long red hair. Merida? I think so. Yes, the from Brave with the bow and arrows. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, she is a lot of fun. I like her too. What's one thing you must have on your nightstand? Well, that's interesting because I don't have a nightstand. <laughs> that's a fair question. That's a fair answer. Because my husband has a nightstand on his side of the bed and I don't have one. Hmm. I would probably say a clock though. Yeah. I'd love to wake up and know what time it is. What, when your kids were little, what was your go-to treat after they would go to bed? Oh, it used to be ice cream. Yes, always ice cream. Yes. I love ice cream after my kids go to bed too. That's that's definitely my guilty pleasure. Ice cream or chocolate, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. What in your life right now is an ordinary moment that brings you great joy? I think just spending time with my children. Last show you binged and loved. Oh, it's the the British the British baking show. <gasps> I am currently watching that and it's my favorite thing ever. The Great British Baking Show. Yes. And you kind of get attached to the, the characters and you're like, I want you to win. And then they get, you know, but they're so, they're so sweet. I just yes. love the judges and everybody. Yes. Me too. I love, yeah, I really, that's my favorite show. I'm currently watching it. If you run out of this besides milk, you have to go to the store. Probably eggs. Eggs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, we eat a lot of eggs in our house too. That's a must have. Who makes you laugh? Um, my husband oftentimes and my daughter. What are you looking forward to? Next spring. <laughs> You're like, just get through the winter. No, we're all done. That's what I think. I think if I can just get through the winter. And I know it hasn't even hardly started, but I'm already psyching myself up to get through the winter. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to next spring. Last one, finish this sentence. Motherhood is. Oh, motherhood is a blast. It's so enjoyable. I love your perspective. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to find Teresa online, you can check her out on our website at teresabodecker.com. And I will share your information in the show notes. I'm so glad we got to talk today. I know, Brittany. And I'm glad you're starting this podcast. I think it will serve a lot of mothers. And I, I, I talked to my daughter and I think I am so glad I'm not a new mother right now. It's hard. I'm hoping that this will speak into a lot of people's experiences and give them encouragement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what mothers, I mean, I, I, I guess I see that as part of my role as a mom to a daughter who has two little ones and is currently pregnant. A large portion of my role is to encourage her. Just to just to just to tell her, you know, your children are so secure. You're doing a good job, you know. Yeah, there's probably places. I mean, we all have places we can improve, but we also all need encouragement. There's mm -hmm. so much encouragement. Yeah, 
We need that encouragement and we need that presence. And I'm sure that you are that presence in her life to say, not just you're doing a good job, but I'm here as a presence to help you. Yes. Be the best mom that you can be in this area of your life to help you grow into that. Right. Right. That's great. I so love if we her. can do that for other women, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sometimes that a mothering role isn't always your mom, but I think that there can be a presence. And I hope that this podcast can be that for others. Somebody who nurtures, like somebody who speaks truth and somebody who says, I'm here for you. You're doing a good job. I see you for what you are doing and what's hard and you're going to get through this. Right. Yes. Yeah. Agree with that. All right. So I wish you a lot of success on your podcast. I appreciate that. Hey friends, I'm so glad you chose to spend your time listening to this episode today. I hope it encouraged you and gave you some good food for thought. In 2022, I want to keep bringing thought-provoking, soul-affirming, high-quality content to you. In order to do this, I want to ask for your support. If you're loving this podcast, write a review in Apple Podcasts or leave some stars in Spotify. In the wonderful world of social algorithms, this is how new listeners will find the podcast. Next, tell your friends. If you know another mom who is in the goop right now, send her a text of encouragement and a link to the episode that is speaking to your heart right now. I'd also love to have you join us over on our Facebook page. You can find it by searching for the Motherhood Metamorphosis Podcast. Finally, you can dig deeper into the podcast by becoming a Patreon supporter. I'd love to have you listen in on a bonus solo episodes, which air on the last Monday of each month. I share stories about my own motherhood journey and practical insights about how to navigate your own transformation and growth. You can find the Patreon account at Patreon slash The Motherhood Metamorphosis. Thank you again for listening and for all your support of this podcast. If you ever have any questions, comments, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at BrittanyAMing at gmail.com. It's like... I want to feel good. You just watch people bake in England. It's nice. <laughs>